Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day. So this morning we're going to be talking about bearing one another's burdens and and restoring in gentleness. And I could not think of, honestly, a more appropriate kind of theme as we kind of think about mothers this morning. That's mothers, they... They're they're there. They 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 love us well. They're gentle. They're stern. They come alongside us. They 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 bear the burdens with us. And we're we're celebrating mothers this morning. And I, I feel like this text just kind of embodies that that personality of of a mother who who loves well. But let's let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on the reading of His Word. And let's let's jump right into it. God, you are so kind and loving and caring. Lord, I pray to this morning you would just give us the boldness that if there is a, a brother who finds himself in sin, that we would be bold enough to go in and seek out restoration. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that, that bear one another's burdens well and that we would be a people who would expose our own burdens so that the body could do what the body's meant to do is come alongside. God, and if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that today would be the day that they put their faith and trust in you. Lord, we, we need you now. Please illuminate our hearts by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, we're going to be in Galatians 6.1. And as we continue our series, Captivated, we've been set free by Jesus from the captivity of sin, and now we get to live captivated by the love of Jesus. That's, that's, that's what we get to do. We learned in Galatians, even though we as believers have the Holy Spirit, we still have the capacity to sin, and we still do sin. So the question that Paul's going to answer for us this morning is, how are we supposed to conduct ourselves when sin is exposed in the body? How, how, should, how should I expect you to treat me when you see me in sin? Because you will if you're around me long enough. And how should I treat you? Paul, Paul answers, for that, answers this uh, for us this morning. So as we do every week, we, we break it up into what is true and what to do. So here's the overarching truth of our passage. Jesus loved us and gave, gave up his life for us, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to love others as Jesus has loved us. That's, that's kind of like the overarching what's true about the text that we're going to look at. But what do we do? Like, what do I actually do with this? That's what Paul's telling us this morning. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to restore a fallen brother with gentleness. And at the same time, we're, we're to be careful not to fall into temptation. And we're to bear one another's burdens. That's, that's, that's what we're commanded to do in this text. So let's, let's read it and look at it. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. 
for each will have to bear his own load. So verse 1 is what we're going to spend most of our time looking at, and it's this idea of restoring in gentleness. Last week we looked in detail at the, the, the work that the Holy Spirit produces in us, the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us, and this week he's given us real practical application on what we're to do with that. One of the one of the aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, remember we said it's fruit, not fruits, fruit, singular. So one of the aspects of that fruit is, uh, is that we would be gentle. And in gentleness is how we are to restore somebody who has fallen into sin. In verse 1, Paul addresses us as brothers. This is a generic term for anyone who claims to be a Christian. This is how they should operate, and this is how we should operate. So everything that he follow, that follows this, he's commanding us to do, okay? Paul, he creates this scenario and gives application. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression. Now, you know, Paul, he would receive a letter, and then he would write in response of that letter, or somebody would come and say, hey, this is what's going on in this place. So there might be a very specific thing going on in this this that's been written to them that they all know that, like, hey, this Joe over here, like, or it's just a hypothetical situation when someone does fall into sin. The word caught can be translated as overtaken. So this is a believer who is overtaken by sin, whether in a moment or by their lifestyle. That's who we're talking about. And I think it applies to those who, you know, They've had their sin exposed, maybe publicly for some reason. Or maybe they've, uh, you've just walked up on them sinning and you see something taking place that needs to be addressed. Or this happens often in the body of Christ. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I'm dealing with this. What do I do? What, what do I do with this? So the response to all these things are essentially the same. We are to tell them to, to flee from sin and repent. But how should we deliver this message? That's the thing. And Paul tells us exactly how we're to deliver the message. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul, he moves his attention from the sinning saint, the one who's caught in transgression, to the, the, the Christian who's supposed to go to the, to the brother in a spirit of gentleness. The phrase in the ESV, should restore, can be translated in one word just as restore. The verb is an imperative command. Don't worry about all that, like all the Greek. And it's, the, it's the difference in your mom saying, hey, when you get a little bit, go clean your room. And you get that look, and she says, go clean your room. Right? That's, that one is a, an imperative command. The other one's a suggestion. This, this is, Paul is telling us this is something we must do. He's being stern with the church on how they should deal with the one who is in sin. He's not being stern necessarily with the one in sin. He's being stern with the church on how they are to deal with the one in sin. And the brothers and sisters should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So what does restoration look like? Well, I think we need to first go to to, to how, how we should posture ourselves. So one, before we ever start this, 
we need to go to the individual in a spirit of humility. I think uh, this, this kind of humility that I'm talking about, it's, it's, it's the kind of humility that preaches the gospel to yourself. Because you need to remember what you've been saved from. You, you need to remember there's nothing you did to be saved outside believe in Jesus. And you are constantly failing. I am constantly sinning, right? And God is constantly applying grace to me. So when I go to somebody, I need to go to them in a spirit of gentleness as God has been gentle with me. So when, when you go to somebody in their sin, remember on the day of judgment, we've not been invited to sit on the judgment seat with God to, to judge the sins of the saints and the, the unbelievers. We are going to be judged ourselves, and our only standing is the blood of Christ. Our only standing is the righteousness of Jesus. Our only standing is that Jesus has given himself up for us. There's, there, we don't get to stand there in our own merit. Uh, so often we become, as Paul Tripp says, a grace amnesiac. You know, an amnesiac, somebody who, who loses memory of something. A grace amnesiac is one who, who lives like you didn't come to, gra- to God by grace alone. And that you're living like you don't require grace every second of your life to make it through the day. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is us not getting what we deserve. There's no second that we, once we come to Jesus, that we don't experience God's grace in everything that we do. God's constantly pouring His grace out on us. When we, when we live and walk by the Spirit and when we avoid sin, when we, when we operate in righteousness, when, when, when we do anything good, that is God's grace being applied to us. And when we sin, that's when we've walked away. And still there's grace for that too. I, uh, one of my favorite professors, he used to say, when we sin in teaspoons full, God pours His grace out in buckets full. We cannot outsend God's grace. He pursues us. So as you approach a brother who's in sin, this is the, the posture that we are to take, a posture of humility and a posture of someone who is currently and constantly receiving the grace of God. You know, you can be right and be wrong in how you apply being right. I, constantly I'm right, but I'm not right in how I, how I deliver the information. We must speak truth in love. Some of us, we just like to speak truth and we're brash. And it's just our job to deliver the message. It doesn't matter how you receive it. Does that sound like in a spirit of gentleness? We must speak truth in love. And the other, the other person, they're, you know, they're real good at, while the one's real good at speaking truth, the other one's real good at loving, but the problem is they, they don't ever want to address the sin. They just say, you know, I just want to love them through it. Well, it's unloving to be untruthful. We must speak truth in love with gentleness. When it comes to, to restoring a repentant sinner, we should do so in gentleness and love, avoiding, this is hard. 
avoiding grudge holding and bitterness. I mean, because a lot of times when we do this, we're the ones, the, the spiritual one who goes in gentleness, we're the ones who end up with some scars over it. You know, most of us have animals. We got dogs. If, if you've got a dog with a wound and you go to put some ointment on it, you go and grab it, what's, what's likely about to happen to you? You're about to get nipped. You're about to get bit. It's because the animal's reacting to the pain. It's not necessarily you. When, when people are hurting and when they're walking in sin, people don't sin because they're okay. People walk in sin because they're hurting. And when, when we attempt to apply the salve of the word to their wound, often they nip and they bite at us as well. But Proverbs 27.5 says this, These are the faithful wounds of a friend. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We're to be faithful friends. But when somebody lashes out, we, we, he's warning you, you've got to protect your heart. That's what Paul's warning us. Because it's, it's, it's hard not to become bitter and jaded and, and hold grudges when somebody responds to you harshly. Like, I'm a preacher. I got to do this for a living. This is outside of everyone's comfort zone. And it's, I'm just confess it's hard for me not to do that. But you, you just have to have a heart check. Because when you start keeping a score, when you, when you start doing things like that, when you start not being willing to, to put yourself out there and, and you find yourself jaded, you find yourself bitter, you, you find yourself upset at the person because they didn't receive it well, that's a spirit of pride. They shouldn't treat me like that. I'm doing what's right. That's a spirit of pride. It's, it's, it's that conversation that you have with your spouse on the way home from something. Where, where you're creating that narrative about how you're totally right and how they're totally wrong. And how you're justifying yourself over and over and over. Like, look, if something happens like that, everybody knows who's wrong. Building yourself up is prideful. We are to walk in gentleness and humility. We're not responsible for the results. We are responsible to be faithful in what God has called us to do. Just like evangelism, we're not, you are not responsible for anyone's conversion. That's God's job. You're responsible to be faithful to share the message. Our job is not to, we're not responsible for the fallen brother to repent. That's between them and God. We are responsible for being faithful, and that's the thing that, they're going to be judged for that sin. You're going to be judged by God on whether or not you were faithful at the time. God is commanding. This is not a, hey, you feel like you got it in you. Go, go, go to it. This is a command. It's an imperative. Paul is speaking on behalf of God, and he says, go restore the fallen brother. 
There's no question about it. Whose ministry is this? It's yours. He's saying, brothers, those of you who are spiritual, go do this. And we always want to be like, well, I don't, uh, you know, we're not supposed to judge anybody ever. No, y'all are constantly judging everything. We're judging everything. You're judging the words that are coming out of my mouth to see if they line up with what's in the scripture. We're constantly judging. The idea of judge not lest you be judged is if you're operating like the Pharisee who's got this plank in his eye who, who's, who's preaching about sexual purity while seeing a prostitute. That's, that's where you have no business judging if you're openly walking in sin. But we are to judge believers. The outside world, we're not judging them because sinners sin. In the church, we're to hold each other accountable because it matters. But let's be real. It's, it's when, when, when people are harsh with us, we all have this internal scorecard that says, you know, last time I, I just really didn't help anything. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not having to pluck thoughts out of your mind. These are the thoughts in my mind. I'm not really helping anything when I say something. I don't want to get hurt again. I'm just not going to put myself out there. We are to love like Jesus loves. This is the agape love we talked about last week. And, and Jesus says, I'll put myself out there to get hurt a hundred more times if it means restoration. And it means holiness for the body. Remember, Jesus, Jesus tells the story that, that uh, the good shepherd leaves the one for the 99 and brings them back. And what happens in that story at the repentant sinner? The heavens rejoice at the repentance of one sinner. The body, we must seek out those who are in our body, in our flock, that go astray. If Jesus didn't put himself out there, we would not have been restored to God, would we? Selfless love seeks the benefit of others at your own expense. At your own expense. And the only way that we can do that, Jesus showed us how to do it, but the only way that we can do this is through the, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit living in us. And how do we do how, how do we walk in that? By daily being in the word with them. All right, so we're to we're to love selflessly, but what does what does restoration of a sinner look like? That means when someone sins and repents, that you accept that repentance. And that you don't hold their sin against them. And that also we don't keep the fellowship from them. You know, when 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 someone repents. We're not God to judge their repentance. When someone repents, we're to take them at face value and bring them back into the body. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean you get to serve like you served before. Let's say, you know, there's some kind of embezzlement issue. Probably not going to get put on the stewardship committee, right? <laughs> or uh, not to make light of it, but just up, if you can't pass a background check, you're not going to be working with the kids. But, you know, there are tons and tons of ministries that you can do here at the church and out in the community. But just because, you know, you may not get to serve like you did before, you get to, you get to be a part of the fellowship still and be a part of the ministry of God. And we are to restore that, 
that, that fallen brother or sister. And this is just a very large conversation in the New Testament that is not talked about very much. So remember, this, the whole occasion for this letter is that, that the, the people of Galatian, Galatia, they've got taken captive by this false theology. And this, this would count as someone being caught in a transgression or caught in a sin. And these are the ones that Paul's telling them to go restore. The word restore literally would render to put in order, put them back in order with the church, or to restore to their, their, their former condition. This, this word restore is used other places in the New Testament, like in the Gospels. You see them mending their, fi- their, their fishnets. That's this word restore. I really think uh, for how we're using it, uh, this, this, it fits well. It was part of the Greek medical uh, vocabulary, vocabulary, and it means to set a fracture of a dislocated bone. And we are the body of Christ, and when someone is living in sin, they're a part of the body, and they're dislocated. They're not working as they should be. It's to, to set back in order that dislocated bone. In Galatians, Paul didn't outline here the procedure of church discipline, but that's clearly what he's talking about. But Jesus does in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And um, let's, let's look at that in verse 15. You'll see it on the screen. If, you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell, tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't listen take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And the point's not gotcha. The point is that they would hear the counsel of the whole saying, hey, yeah, you're wrong. And if he refuses to listen to them, go tell it to the church. And if, if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Paul talks about it this way in 1 Corinthians. Put him out of the fellowship. Treat him as a sinner. Because somebody's not... A believer should not walk in open sin. The New Testament gives a believer, like, hey, this is how you know you're a sinner or not. This is how you know you're a Christian or not. Are you living in sin? Are you obeying the commandments? Are you, are you being faithful? Are you repenting when you sin? And if you're not doing those things then the New Testament tells us our, your conclusion should only be that you're not a believer. So we are to put them out of the church. So let's, let's go back and just back up through this real quick. Jesus says it starts with a one-on-one encounter where you're seeking that person's repentance, and if they repent, you've gained a brother, right? And the goal is that they would be mended, they would res- be restored to the body. If the person refuses to repent, you're to take two or three people, and this is not something we need to do fast. Church discipline is something that happens slow. Because church discipline is a matter of pleading with the soul of a brother to repent. And when we take it to the two or three brothers, we are to pray, we are to go to them, and if they don't repent, we go to them again. It's this idea of seven times 70. Now, we don't forever not take it to the church, but let's, let's move slow and be prayerful because we, our hope is that they would repent. Nothing about this should be punitive. And if a person is still unwilling to repent, 
from the words of Jesus himself, he says, tell it to the church. But if at any point they repent, even at the time we take it to the church, restore them like they never did. The point is restoration. You see Paul talking about this in 1 Corinthians 4, 5. But the goal isn't putting someone out. The goal is that they would repent. We, we talk about the, the judgment of God often, and we stop at the judgment of God determining who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. There is another judgment that takes place after that. And at that next judgment, he's judging believers. Now, it doesn't mean you don't go to heaven, but there is a judgment there. Jonathan Lehman talks about, illustrates the grace of church discipline this way because it's a grace. He, imagine there's a teacher who, who they have a student that's failing the, but they never give them any, they never give them their papers back. They never tell them what they're actually doing wrong. And at the end of the semester, they just give them a failing grade. That's, that's not kind. And then you have another teacher who gives that, that first failing grade back to the student, and they walk with them through why they're failing and what they need to do and what they need to correct and how to study and, and the necessary steps to take. And that, same, that, that person there doesn't fail the class. Which teacher cared more about the future of their students, the first or the second? It's clearly the second. Discipline is a loving way to say to an individual caught in sin, careful, an even greater judgment and an even greater penalty is coming if you don't get back on the path. Please turn back. But it's not surprising people don't like discipline. I don't like discipline. Nobody likes discipline. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. But how merciful is God that he set up a system within the church to call people back, to warn people of a greater judgment that's to come in comparison to this, to this very small judgment that they're experiencing. Paul's hope is that matters would never deteriorate to that. that like, that's, not, that's not ever the goal. The goal is to call someone back and that they would be restored or somebody would realize that they're lost and they would come to Christ because they're not walking in the way of Jesus. This is the reason why Paul commands them to restore with gentleness. And our hope should be that it never happens. And our prayer should be that if there's ever an issue where we need to go to someone, that we would go in the right spirit and that they would receive it in the right spirit. This is a delicate ministry that should be carried out with all wisdom and humility and gentleness. Many people, they're going to interpret this word gentleness as Paul calling for some kind of tolerance that overlooks open sin, like the actions that he calls out in the previous verses. Is there any way that we can conclude that? I don't think so. I don't think that could, that could be further from the truth that he's calling for some sort of tolerance that we would be silent in the face of sin. He was saying the restoration 
process should, calling out sin should be done with sensitivity and with no trace of self-righteousness or superiority. That's why Paul's calling those who find themselves in this awkward and uncomfortable situation of having to call out sin to do this, to keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Most often when we're in this situation, we're going to be tempted with a heart of self-righteousness and, and superiority. And again, that's that, that conversation we have with our spouse in the car or that, that, that narrative we create in our mind that, oh, I would never do this. This goes back to the idea of being a gospel amnesiac. We must be a people who daily realize that we are recipients of grace and that we need the grace of God when we fail. And the times that we don't fail and the times we don't fall into temptation, it, it's God's power working through us. It's not because we're awesome. The message of the gospel is that we're totally dependent on God to save us. It's not about our righteousness and our superiority. It's about His righteousness and His superiority. The most superior being in all of creation, the one who created everything out of nothing, became a man and dwelt among us. He lived for 33 years and He was perfect in all that He did and all that He said and every thought and every action. And He hung on a cross and He died in our place. He was actually righteous. And he died the death of a sinner. But three days later, he rose from the dead, purchasing our pardon. He's the one who's superior. He's the one who's righteous. We've got no, if you ever feel yourself in that posture of superiority and righteousness to someone else's sin, just know that you're, you are now in sin. As a matter of fact, we need the gospel because we're not morally superior. And we have no righteousness found in ourselves. When we daily preach the message of the gospel to our own hearts, we're less likely to fall into temptation. Because that fallen brother needs that same grace that we receive every moment. And the moment we think we're above a certain sin, that's when Satan finds that foothold. That's when, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, not giving sin an opportunity. That's, that's where sin sets up its base camp, is in the place where we believe that we won't fall. And then we expose ourselves to a greater temptation. Let's look now at um, verses 2 through 5 on bearing one another's burdens. I'm going to read it so that we can reacquaint ourselves. We'll do this part much faster. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Paul's making fun of us who have this have this posture of superiority remember from verse uh chapter 5 verse 14 paul de defines the law of christ if you're an underliner 514 is a place to underline it says this for the whole law is fulfilled in one word 
you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Bearing one another's burdens is to love each other well. That's what it is. The church is not a social club. The church is a family of born-again believers knit together, interwoven by the Holy Spirit to glorify God and to build His kingdom. And one way that we build His kingdom here on earth is through loving the body well, through bearing one another's burdens. The context of bearing one another's burdens here has to do, it's connected to this idea of the spiritually mature ones coming alongside people who are in sin and helping restore them who are falling. While we're talking about this specifically, I think it applies to all burdens, though. Burden, the, the word literally means a heavy weight or stone. And the, uh, it's, it's the stone that someone would have to be required to carry for a long distance. I know we all smile and we've got our collared shirts on and we look nice and we smell good on Sunday morning, but we're all coming in carrying something. We all come in with burdens and we need people to come alongside of us. I, I, I got my wife, a, a, we, we put up a pergola in the backyard and we, we want to paint the house so we need to move the pergola off the back of the house here in a couple weeks. And I'm, I've, I've moved that pergola around. I've just kind of inched it. So it's got like these six legs. And so, but what I really need whenever it's time to move it a couple feet away from the house, I need to get five other guys to come pick up the legs and scoot it over with me. Because if I were to do it by myself, I, I can move it. I've already moved it a little bit. But I'm going to twist it, and the structure's going to be bent. That's the idea of bearing one another's burdens. Yeah, you can probably make it through this life. But your soul's going to be bent and marred and scarred by you trying to do it alone. I need people to carry my burdens. You need people to carry your burdens. Or we're going to be twisted up spiritually. And the place where that happens at Oak Grove is in the group's ministries. Group's ministries... That's a place where people are going to be able to come alongside you. That's a place where you can know others and be known. Because look, not only do you have burdens that you're carrying, you're commanded to carry other people's burdens. So how are you doing that? Are you doing that? Well, that's the place where we do that in the body. So we've got groups that meet on Sunday morning. We've got groups that meet on Sunday night. We've got groups that meet on Monday morning. We've got groups that meet on Wednesday morning. We've got groups, that, we got groups meeting everywhere. And these groups are where you find people to bear, to both bear burdens with and for them to bear your burdens. That's, 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 that's the ministry each believer should be walking in. It's a place where, where you can find healing. And if, if you don't know where to go, if you need help plugging into a group, well, we've got a Connections ministry. They've got nice little lanyards they're going to be standing by this desk out here and we've got this big wall with all the groups with pictures and qr codes we've made it easy for you i say we brandon has made it easy for you and if like hey i don't that's too much i don't know how to do any of that or i don't want to do any of that but i want to get in a group go see brandon brandon's the one who stands up front and leads worship if, if you're new to the church go see brandon brandon will connect you to a group but you have to be a part of the body you have to be in a group because that's where you're going to be known 
And that's where you're going to find healing. Groups are a place that you're going to be discipled. They're a place where you're going to be encouraged, but they're also a place where you're going to have to, where, where you're going to get to carry out your God-given calling to bear one another's burdens. And I'm going to step out and say, if you're not doing that, you're not walking in your God-given calling right now. So look at verse 3. This is for the one who feels like that's not for them. If someone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. One commentator calls this the myth of self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is not a mark of bravery. Self-sufficiency is a mark of pride. Creating a posture of believing that those around you are either too weak to help you or too incompetent, or you're too strong. Weakness is the way of Christ. This is what Paul's saying. This is the one who thinks he's, thinks he's something. And then Paul goes on to give an assessment on behalf of God for the one who thinks that way about themselves. The one who thinks he is something is nothing and deceives himself. God's not really cushioning the blow for you, is he? I know he didn't for me. Your refusal to seek help, to admit your own weakness, what you're doing is you're guilty of preaching a false gospel to the world. Because the, world, the, the gospel says, I don't have it together. God had to come alongside and do something in me. The gospel says that I can't, walk in obedience without the Holy Spirit doing it in me. The gospel says that I'm weak and he's strong. This is literally the thing that Paul's writing against is this false legalism of strength. If, you bel- if you're acting like this, if you're, if you're never open with somebody, you deceive yourself and you're deceiving others. You're preaching a false gospel. So how does this play out? All, what, what, what ends up happening is people look at your strength, or perceived strength, rather, and they start living that way themselves. Never seeking help. So what, is it, what does this end up looking like? Well, let's say your kid starts dabbling in drugs i got to keep up the strength. I can't be weak to anybody. So I'm not going to seek help. Because somebody would think, my family's not Christian, my family's not spiritual. No, the spiritual ones seek help. But because you've preached a false gospel, they're living a false gospel. Maybe, maybe it looks like some, you, you, you've never been open with your friends about anything that goes on in your marriage. So they're, they're, they're struggling. And they think, well, this is, what, this is what a real Christian marriage is supposed to look like over here. And they never invite anyone in to help them while their family is crumbling. We must, for the sake of the body, both carry other people's burdens and allow people in to carry our burdens. Because if not, we're preaching a false gospel. And the people around us are going to be the ones who are injured 
I do these things called discipleship groups. They, they run for a year. And it's funny, one of the, we do a couple spiritual disciplines, and one of them is confessing sin. That's the unfun one. But it's really funny, the first couple weeks, ain't nobody a sinner. I'm the only one confessing sin. A couple weeks later, everybody's a sinner. And it's like, hey, we got to reel some of this in because we got to get to some of the other disciplines. But it requires somebody being open because we all got stuff going on. Sin is like an infection in the body. And when we confess our sins to one another, we find victory. It's like white blood cells attacking an infection and choking it out. We do this together through prayer, through not hiding. Hiding's where infection grows, right? Hiding's where sin grows. But when we are accountable, those things, they can't live. It takes the oxygen out of them. This is living the law of Christ by bearing one another's burdens. This is what, this is what he means. That's how we're meant to, to, to walk with one another. And we're defined healing and not rejection. The church is for restoration. Verse 4, But let each one test his own works, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. We're not to compare ourselves to others. First, Paul tells the Galatians to test their own works. This means, I believe, if we test our obedience by holding it up to the law and to the per perfect righteousness of Jesus, we're always going to be found wanting. We're always going to be found sinful. We know we can't meet the demands of the law. Even our best works are stained with sin. So, People, when we, when, we, when we want to test ourselves, what we start doing so that we can find a place to boast, we often, we move our eye from Christ as the one we're supposed to judge ourselves against to, to others. And this is what the, the, the legalism set up at the Galatian church was doing. And our only boast is what Christ has done in, in us. We can always find somebody more sinful, right? Especially if we're the one creating the scorecard. We're, we're not acknowledging our stuff, but I'm happy to acknowledge your stuff. All of a sudden, when, when, when we start doctoring the scorecard like that, we start doing really well. We start thinking, well, I'm not as bad as this guy, so I'm fine. The standard that we're to walk in isn't, am I better than that sinner? The standard is Christ. Am I conforming to Christ? Do I look more like Jesus? In 6.5, Paul moves us from the throne of our heart, looking down at our neighbor, to the great white throne of God. And he says, for each will have to bear his own load. This is a different word than uh, burden. This is the idea of the backpack that a soldier would carry on a trip. They would bear their own load. Nobody was else was there to bear it. When you stand before God, you will have to bear your own load. When we stand before God, we're going to be judged whether we believed in Jesus or not. But as I told you, there's another judgment coming where we both get blessings 
and judgment. This is, this is what we talk about, the things that go through the fire, the things that are imperishable. Those are the only things that will make it on the other side. And we're going to be judged by whether or not we were faithful. Not, you know, how, how much better we are than, than Joe. That's the standard is God. Your scorecard and God's scorecard are totally different. He's going to judge you based on how you use your time, talent, and treasure as he called you to use them. So that's, we're about to walk into a time of invitation. That's like, how are you using your time, talent, and treasure? Are you bearing people's burdens with them? Are you, are you seeking people out? I mean, are you walking in your God-given calling to bear one another's burdens? Are you walking in your God-given calling to be gentle with someone? And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want you to understand this. I don't, I don't have joy telling you this, but if you don't know Jesus, you will have to bear your load in front of him. He sent his son to bear it for you, but if you don't put your faith and trust and you don't put your, become obedient to him, you will be punished forever in a place called hell. He's not judging you whether or not you are better than someone else. The sole judgment that you will receive is whether or not you put your faith in the Son who died for you. John 3.16 tells us this, that anyone who believes in the Son of God will find eternal life. If you want to know what it means to put your faith and trust in Jesus, I'm going to be down front. But I want you to know about a loving, kind, gentle, restorative God who's done everything required for you to be saved. This is that song, All Sufficient Merit. The merit's not ours, it's God's, and He's willing to give it to you. But you have to receive it, and if you don't receive it, you will face the full judgment and the full wrath of God.